Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, Alex Sparks, and Mark Nizer. It's the queue. Welcome to the queue, everybody. Today we are joined by Dave Mickey Hello. and Joshua Langman. Hi, welcome. Today we have the second part of our interview with John Huntington. I would encourage any of our listeners who didn't catch the first episode of this interview to go back and listen to that before listening to this one. John Huntington is the author of Show Networks and Control Systems and a professor of entertainment technology at New York City College of Technology, also known as City Tech. And uh, he is also an award-winning photographer and storm chaser. Welcome back to the queue, John. Thank you for having me. So continuing our conversation from last episode, I wanted to follow up on some of the stuff you were talking about. Indoor versus outdoor sound. What is the difference? More speakers? How are you compensating for being in that big open space? Another good question. Actually, the Bob McCarthy basically wrote a whole book on that topic. So you should, um, it's probably be worth uh, talking to Bob about that. But the, the big difference between those two is reflections. In outdoor, we have some reflection issues, which are kind of interesting, like a building. So I do the, uh, these shows out in the World Financial Center here in New York. There you're dealing with sort of discrete reflection from a building, which is just an echo. And so we, the way we dealt with that on this thing, because as a film festival, you got to understand the words. It's not like a pop act that everybody knows the song so they can get away with it. With this, it's a movie no one's ever seen before, so you have to understand the dialogue. So the way we solve that in that case is a whole lot of speakers pretty close to the people all pointed down and away from the buildings and then hmm. not pushing very loud. I actually got that gig because they hired a kind of rock and roll company to do it and they just hung two big line arrays and blasted it down and you couldn't hear in the back so they just turned it up louder and that made it wow. worse and worse. Indoor is much more complicated in that way because all the reflections, you have all these different build-ups and stuff. It's the same idea. You just want to put the sound where the people are, but you have to deal with the reverberation a lot. I remember on this film festival once, we're sitting there, and I hear this like coming through the sounds. I'm like, I'm like running around looking at smart. I'm like, what the hell? And I see this big thing, and I can't remember, it's 74 hertz or something. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I thought it was in the track from the video or something, so I'm running around. And it turned out it was a tugboat coming up the <laughs> river or something. And it just like this lobe of the, from the engine of the tugboat, he's just pushing upstream. The tide's going out, so he's like at full throttle. And you're getting this weird low-frequency lobe come off the side of the tugboat and just radiate up like half a mile to our show site. And then when he passed, it went away. So you don't have those kind of problems uh, inside as much. So your book has been through several different editions. What's changed over the years? And... What's in store for the next edition? The big change, of course, is networks. The first edition, which I think was 1994, had like maybe five five pages, six pages on networks because back then there were you know, Ethernet existed. There was a couple other things. We were just starting to get going on this, and I remember we were building at Production Arts. We were building lighting systems out of old 10 base two coax, two megabit per second on coax, and those things like a, the equivalent of a hub that they called a concentrator for four ports was like $1,300. And uh, now, of course, that would be about a dollar, you know, and you wouldn't want it. You'd want to switch instead. So now I don't even know how many pages the in networks on the book, but it's three or four chapters 
uh, it's a lot, and it's a major focus of it. And that's also changed the way that we build systems now from like a show control perspective. And I also should just define show control in my book. I define as two or more entertainment control systems linked together. So you have a lighting system with 15 computers networked together. That's a really you know sophisticated lighting control, entertainment control system, but it's not show control unless you link it up, synchronize it to the sound system or have the you know the pyro system generate a light cue or something like that. If you link the system together, then you got show control. And also, we're recording this a couple weeks after Infocom. My friend Jim Janik, who's show control programmer, contractor in Orlando, who you can guess who he works for, but he can never say. He and I run this thing called a Geek Out. We just have anybody that has a show control project is allowed to come in and talk talk about it. But most of these systems now, because of the impact of the network, basically it's just a network that you build and then you figure out how to program it. So that's changed dramatically. And again, it depends on the scale. I was just talking about the elevator repair service guys. They wanted to do some interactive stuff, like they have an old-timey-looking phone that has a separate handset and earpiece, and uh, they wanted that hook switch of that phone to trigger a sound effect. And they were running Ableton on laptop. One of the performers was programming. I mean, me, I would do that with some Beckoff I.O. system and some network and whatever. But for this, it just didn't make sense. So we just got the old mini solutions foot switch, wired it up. They, you know, I had a couple around that used to test it out, and then they went and bought one. So in that case, they just use straight MIDI. There is no network. But anything that's anything larger, like our haunted house now, got rid of the last MIDI about two years ago. And actually, our sound, sound designer, I believe you've had on the show before, is Sam Kuznets, who's uh, of course, works for Figure 53 as well. But he uh, took over the sound design a couple years ago. But that whole thing now is completely networked. There's no MIDI, serial, any of that stuff left on the show. So that's been the biggest change in the market. And to me, it, it took me a while to figure out the network stuff early on. It was sort of intimidating to get started in it. I had to wire up something with a serial port this year and I was like, oh man, what a thing. <laughs> you can do it. This stuff is rock solid. When you get it working, it's great. It's still good for some things, but you got to have the pins right and then you have to wire this connector and all this. Like, man, I'd just rather just be messing with IP addresses. The other big change with that is that once you get into the network, the troubleshooting tools that come along with the network are so great. Just being able to ping something is a kind of test procedure that tests so many things that we've never had in MIDI or, or doesn't exist in DMX or Serial or any of those things. To have that be standardized is amazing. And to have tools like Wireshark and stuff to get in and really look around at what's going on, that's been incredible. When I went to Infocom this year, I actually just drove out and storm chased my way out and back. So I ended up driving 8,000 miles. So while I was in the car, I actually played back the PDF of my book through my phone <laughs> voice-to-text thing. And I, it's, I just posted this on Facebook the other day, but it's kind of funny. Some of the text-to-speech stuff, when you get to the binary chapter, was pretty funny. It's like, <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 one, whoa, one, one, one. It's like on and on. So some of that was really funny. That was too... So I just listened to two-thirds of the book while I was driving. And not a whole lot is, you know, the first edition, the second edition, a whole lot of stuff went obsolete. I had to sort of take some things out, add new stuff. But there's really not that much has changed. So this, this, the last edition came out four years ago. There's nothing, the only thing that's not really correct in there now, and I actually keep a rat on my website so people find things to send in. People haven't found any real, you know, other than typos and stuff. It's just like, you know, what's the speed of USB, like those kind of things. The, a little bit of different protocol status. So there's a protocol called, that was called OCA then, which is now AES-70. But nothing's really changed with it. And again, I think this is really a stability in the market. 
reflected by being built in the network. So my plan is, I was going to try to do it this summer. I think it's, I'm not going to have time to finish it this summer, but it's just to issue a point one version of the book, not a full edition, and just correct a few of these things, update a couple of graphics and stuff like that. But uh, So I, I have like another third of the book to go through, but I've been through the bulk of it now. And there's really not much that's obsolete anymore, which is kind of a good thing. So I would still say do buy the book anyway. Um, and any questions you have, the the only, you know, like I said, the only things I know about that are inaccurate now is just some a couple names and a couple statistics. I want to add a paragraph to the VLAN section and things like that. That's not going to change it dramatically. At this point, I'd have no plans to add new chapters or anything. And there's, I don't think there's any protocols that... I feel like should be in there that are not in there. I mean, I might rephrase a couple of things, just put it a little bit in context, but that's pretty much it. So I, I think that's a really good thing for the market that, again, it means we've sort of centralized around these tools that we know, whether it's, you know, MIDI or um, Timecode or Ethernet or whatever. And those are pretty stable, which is a good thing. And I think it's it's interesting, too, if you look at some of the theater sound mailing lists or show control mailing lists or uh, QAB lists and some of those things, the basic, even just MIDI knowledge that used to be, oh, well, that's a specialized thing. you got to go in and figure out the bits and do this and that. Somebody can come over and help you with it. Like Those questions just aren't up there anymore because I think the knowledge is out in the market now, and it's in the manufacturers, it's in the archive in these message boards, it's in my book, it's in those kind of places. So the basic knowledge of how to do this stuff is pretty much out there. I'm not talking about like you know what video standard do you use because that stuff of course changes every day. In fact, they had at Infocom they had a way to send HDMI over any kind of cable, like speaker cable, like two or three hundred feet. Wow, I need that in my life. It's the Altinex A L T I N X AnyWire A N Y W I R E, and it's kind of insane. The trade-off, of course, was there was like a two or three second delay in it. So it's not something you want to use on a stage, but if you want to monitor out in your lobby somewhere, apparently they said, and they had it demonstrated, like a lot of people actually didn't believe it, that it was real. And if you look at the demo, they have like the wire out, there's nothing behind it. It's kind of fun because people are skeptical about it. Um, (laughs) But apparently you can even say it's very high frequency that it runs at. So if the wire work transmitted, you actually can run it over the same cable that you're already using for a speaker, and they said even for 70 volt, which is kind of amazing. Wow. So that kind of stuff, of course, is always changing, but I think our basic tools to, like, how do you connect things together, like, that's pretty well known now. I'm using your book this fall for my show control class. Oh, great. A couple things about your book. So I noticed very last page, San Bernardino, California, made in USA. I find that funny because that's my neighbor. All the mm. ones I get are printed in Charleston, South Carolina. So. Oh, how funny. You mentioned Figure 53. What is your dream for the next version of QLab? And is there networking stuff that they could update? I would love to have real serial commands in there, which I know you're not, you said are outdated, but I'm still stuck using them for a lot of the Arduino stuff I build. Yeah, well, Arduino, you should be able to upgrade pretty easily. They make Ethernet shield. But I have to be hardwired at that point, right? Because everything I do has to be wireless. They have a Wi-Fi shield, but it's kind of iffy. I've had them die after about two weeks. I'm using a lot of radio stuff right now. How are you sending serial over? Bluetooth. Oh, Bluetooth, okay. What do you envision QLab, uh, the next version being? The networking stuff they finally put in in this latest, whatever the... Three. Yeah, in the current version they finally added it. That was great. I'm personally not a big OSC fan. OSC is great for what they implemented in, which was want to make an iPad app that sort of pulls out a database and puts some stuff up. That's what OSC is really great at. As sort of a control protocol, it's really kind of cumbersome. For OSC, if you just want to send it from a controller, you have to pad the bytes out. I think it's four 
bytes per message. You have to do all this stuff. And things like Meteon can do that. But it's still, it's just kind of a pain in the ass. Where I want to just say, send a command that says go enter and have the thing go. So they actually made a version of the OSC that doesn't require all the byte padding everything. And they were, I think I was the only one who had a QAB version named after me so i had that yes i just saw that Uh, zip file oh that's funny so and it's funny because i was talking to sam cousins about this and he said for his projects now he actually i call it pseudo osc and he uses the pseudo osc even more than the full osc for the type of project he's working on i can always have an opinion about a protocol but as long as there is a protocol and it's on the network i'm happy and i can i can get into it and do whatever i want with it so i honestly don't have a good wish list for it our iphone app actually uses that ascii protocol to send the q show through oc oh cool I've, i actually used it the other day on my watch oh really cool. oh, yeah my remote was func- malfunctioning so i had my little iWatch on nerded out oh that's funny and why did you guys not use the full oc was it because there should be it should just be built into your code base for that right and then i was lazy and um oh, okay it's quick, fast, reliable. I like it. You're sending it over UDP, and it's but it's remote, so if it doesn't, if the packet gets lost, you just send it again. It's just gone. Yeah. Oh, and that reminds yeah. me that I can't remember that guy's name, but the one you had saying that <laughs> yeah, that whole thing with I think I sent you guys a long email after that. Yes, I would love to talk about that. <laughs> I'd have to go read the email again because it's been a while. But he was like, "There's entire." Like Dante is based on UDP, ACN is based on UDP. There's all these things out there. You just have the the reliability or whatever you're putting. In. I mean, for if you want to launch a missile, absolutely, you should be on TCP or <laughs> nuclear plan or anything, or even pyro or anything dangerous, absolutely. But I mean, for general stuff like what you just talked about, UDP is fine for that. And is that because of the speed of it? And yeah. It's not re- well, it's just simpler, and the TCP. You know, I mean, the whole IP thing was made in the time, you know, it was basically made by the Defense Department when the threat that they had, it was during the Cold War, and the threat that they had was they need to get a command and control message from Washington to Nebraska to fire the missile, and if they have one route through Chicago and Chicago gets nuked, they need to have a way around it. So you can buy a little bit of time on that isn't a big deal if it will get there reliably. And, and I actually saw this here during 9-11 because, like, right in the World Trade Center was a big phone hub, and so I couldn't get out, couldn't make a phone call because their whole infrastructure was gone, but I could send an email out that day. So it works really well for that, but it wasn't really made for things where either, A, where something's very repetitive, where it's just sending the same thing out over and over, like Artnet, or if you go see Ka, like Cirque du Soleil show, where they export the position of that platform out to their rendering system, but that kind of stuff where speed is more important than uh, reliability, and that's where UDP is good. Or there's a lot of other very sort of low-level technical issues that, about TCP that I don't even know all the details of myself because I don't, I don't need to. It just works for what I'm doing. There, it can actually hold packet to like frame it up to get to the, be the right size and sort of things like that that all makes sense when you're trying to transfer a file or something that's in, all that's important but for control stuff it, it's not that necessary so UDP is not is perfectly fine you can feel the lag you mean in TCP not necessarily if i have a choice and the thing has TCP that i'll use it but there are some things that you know some settings usually have to be done sort of by the people who write that code to make sure that that'll work properly it just introduces another possibility of something to go wrong again i would prefer tcp over udp all else being equal but i think my biggest issue with what that guy was saying is we often don't get to make this choice if i get a video projector from panasonic and they put in udp that's what i'm using and they're they're not going to change it 
and you can try to call Panasonic and see <laughs> see what will happen, or Sony or any of these people. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing that we often don't get to make these decisions. But if, if we're able to make the decision, absolutely, I would use TCB. And if I saw something that was pyro system or scenic automation or something that was dangerous that either didn't use TCP or used something to put in that functionality, then I would probably have some questions about it. But things like full ACN, which unfortunately kind of died in the market, they built their own reliable multicasting scheme all based on UDP. So you can't just make blanket statements about you're an idiot if you use UDP on anything. So. <laughs> but you can make well, it I, I loved his passion. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite control protocol then? My whole thought process has all changed. You know, I was in my 20s, like I, I wrote a thing about I was working for Production Arts Lighting and we were putting in these systems on a cruise ship in Italy. You look backstage left, there's like a box from us that has a lighting connector on it. There's a box from the Maryland Sound that put in the sound system. There's a box from the rigging controller. They're all different. One is blue, one is black, one is this. Some were made by one. They all look different. It's like, ah, if you're the owner of this thing, you want a nice-looking wall here. They're standing right where the stage vendor is, all the performers and everything. This is kind of like stupid. Like, why don't we just standardize? You have to put, put everything in one panel or standardized around one idea with that that's the way i used to think about it and now i really think that that a that approach of the standardization it just isn't really practical and b it's not even that desired because in in that like we knew how to make our boxes we we had a way to do it we bought certain types of connectors we had a history with them we knew they would do what we needed to do and we had a process so for us to conform to somebody else's thing like the amount of coordination work we would have to do wouldn't be worth it and it was the same thing with protocols. So when MIDI Show Control came out in 93, 4, 5, something like that, I was a big advocate of like, oh, great, here's the one protocol that can run everything on a show. It never really worked out that way. The, all the command formats are in MIDI Show Control. There's really mostly used by lighting people now and a few other, a little bit of sound and some other things. But there's all this stuff written out in there that was just never implemented. And there was one theme park attraction, I think it was Waterworld, is based on Charlie Richmond's stuff, which I believe was completely MIDI show control because there was one guy, Universal, who was mandated it. But now I really think, I don't really care what the protocol is as long as it's well-documented and easy to use because now we have the ability through things like Media Line Manager, which, of course, just got sold to Barco. That was the big news right before Infocom. And it seems like everything's going to continue the way it was. Programs like that, now I can just write whatever I need in there. It's not really a, a big deal. I prefer, personally, just to have simple ASCII commands because it's just so much easier. Then you can test it from a terminal program. But what the command is, I don't really care as long as it's well-documented. There's some older sort of video switchers and stuff like that where they basically just took in a serial protocol from the 80s and stuffed it into IP. And it's just a miserable. It's like, these four bits mean this and this and this hex, blah, blah, blah. It's just, why can't I just type play track five? It's mm-hmm. just so much easier. And that's sort of my gripe about OSC is that context you have to put it in is sort of, again, for what it was designed for, it's a great protocol, but as a sort of as a control protocol, it's counterintuitive to me. So yeah, I'll take anything as long as it's in the manual. Do you program your own software or build your own hardware? No, not in a long time. I mean, I've done little bits of that in the past, but I mostly just do system integration now. And also I think stuff like Medialon Manager around, I don't need to write that myself from a control perspective. There's certainly always applications that need custom stuff. I just personally, that's just not what I do. There are people that do some of the most sophisticated control attractions in recent years are done by these guys named, the company's called Smart Monkeys down in Miami. And they have some really, really sharp programmers there, but they still base it all around Medialon. 
because it gives you the sort of engine that you can work from. The, the biggest players in that market and that sort of pure show control stuff is MediaWine, which I've talked about, which is very sort of software-based. And then Alcor McBride is more hardware-based, but of course they're network-able and focused on all that as well. And that's at the Geek Out we just did. Those were the two sort of solutions that you have. I enjoy coding, even the MediaWine. I mean, it is coding. Like My students can attest to that. It's the debugging time that, that you always have to plan for. And as much as I like enjoy coding, and I, I enjoy debugging, if it's something for a show... I really don't want to be getting those phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, well, I never did this before right. and did this thing. And I, there, at that point, because of the time, I want to have somebody I can call. So if I have you know, a Mediawan, Alcorn, QAB, some system like that, or Venue Magic, I can get those guys on the phone and they can go in, as long as I document, they can go in and sort of do that low-level stuff. And I hope to do it today and I can install the new version and get the show up and running. So, Is there any uh, show control setup that you've dreamed of doing that you haven't done yet? I guess the answer to that is it would have to be something that I was so passionate about creatively that would be worth the time commitment to it. I see a vision of taking your storm chasing and converting a live multimedia event <laughs> to a storm somehow. That would seem cool. Yeah, and it's storm chasing stuff's like threaded through all kinds of things I've done. So we did a SPECTA project. Again, I was working with this guy, George Kindler, years ago at the Kansas City Science Station, I think it was. And this was a classic safety should of course should trump everything else yeah. when you're in a process and the other part is really budget like i think you have to be really realistic about the budget but i've worked on two projects back to back like science station i think it was called kansas city it's still there and then this oh mystic aquarium they built this whole giant thing about robert boward's work both of these had really amazing designs and both of them had for some reason somebody had put a number on the project before the design was complete which is just a disaster, you know, waiting to happen. So somebody said, oh, yeah, we can do all this. It's going to cost a million dollars. And it's like, well, you have no idea what it's going to cost. You haven't finished specking it yet. So we spec this thing. So both these projects, same exact process, great design, come in. We give them a price, and this is what it's going to cost. Oh, that's over by 50%. Okay, well, what are you going to cut? Nothing. Okay, well, it's not going to work. And so we did the initial spec for a tornado simulation at the Science Museum, Kansas City. I was out there for some conference or something, and I said, oh, I'm going to go see this thing. I always want to see how it turned out. It was Everything was broken, turned off, disassembled. There was like some oh. terrible video. It had all the right ideas. You know, the floor was shaking, the window blew out. It just wasn't built properly. I mean, the design was great. And what I suggested for them is like, okay, you don't have enough money, so the whole attraction was built in sort of zones. Like, don't build zones three and four and use that as a fundraising thing. Do one and two really well, and three and four you do later. But somebody had promised something. And then it's funny because that uh, Institute for Exploration at the Mystic Aquarium same time, so we did an overall spec for that, priced it out, 100% over budget. They went with somebody else who's a lot cheaper. I'm like, well, it's not going to work. And again, I was passing through Mystic. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see this thing. I want to see how this worked out. It literally was completely closed because it was so broken that like the guys were in there oh. fixing it that day. So I oh. think it's funny because safety, of course, trumps all of that. But I think people have to be realistic about the budget. Like, we, you got to listen to the engineers. Like, we know... We know we're not always, I mean, people can overestimate things, but people know what they're talking about when they say this isn't going to work. And you can't just cut 40% out of the budget and then get the same result. I mean, if you can, they're probably going to tell you how to do it, but usually it's going to result in something like that. So, but yeah, that would be cool. And actually you should look, there's people now, there's some chasers around the spring that have these 360 degree cameras on the roof of their car. And there was one that was pretty close to an amazing storm in Oklahoma. So 
if you want to see that, you can like pan. It's on YouTube somewhere. You can like pan around on it. Uh, the immersive uh, content is fascinating to me. Yeah, although I think it's funny because that's the other thing. I went to a conference in 1993 or something. Jaron Lanier was there talking about how virtual reality was going to change the world and it was going to revolutionize everything. And I was like, well, I don't know. I think it's really cool for gaming and it was really cool for architectural visualization. Like, that's great, but I think it's going to change the world. And I personally think that's exactly what we're seeing right now. I think the mm-hmm. VR push, again, it's really, if you're into it for gaming, it's, it's really great. I think it's like the 3D TV of last year. It's not going to be like everywhere and change the world. I mean, it's again, it changed the world for very specific applications. And I think it's also interesting that that same, it's called the Cyber Arts Conference in like 93 or something. I mean, back then I saw interactive media stuff, people playing sort of virtual drum sets on an Amiga mm-hmm. computer back then just from video detection. And it's still pretty much what we're doing today. We just have more of it. It's easier to use. We have a lot more sort of horsepower. But I think the limit that we have now is just the creative one. The generation of directors and writers and people that come up in this world, I think they're the ones that are going to come out with the stuff that will blow me away. I think the amount of stuff that I see personally anymore that surprises me technically is pretty low and it's not saying these people didn't do a great job it's just i know how it's done like it's mm-hmm. you know it's, i've been studying like magic tricks for a long time same thing like mm-hmm. it's impressive to me the performance is impressive but most of them i have a pretty good idea how they did it so the same thing there's almost any show that i see now i'm like wow they did a really good job on that but there's no for me i used to be like oh how did that work like when i saw Ka years ago like that, I had to write this article on it. I just saw when I was on my way back from Infocom is this thing called Meow Wolf House of Eternal Return in Santa Fe. There's, you know, soundtrack, pretty static lighting. There's some interactive kind of Arduino, Raspberry Pi kind of things, you know, interactive laser harp kind of stuff. Again, seen it all, not very impressive. But what's so impressive is just the creativity in this thing, the design and the scale of it just goes on and on and on. And the level of work that they did is just absolutely incredible. And then even more importantly, it's like basically a permanent theme park attraction. The other thing that was impressive to me was that I've seen a million of these things just done by you know, crazy artists with a great vision here in New York. But you know, they wouldn't think about sprinklers or exit doors or uh, you know, fire alarm and things like that. But they're probably forced to do it for this attraction, but they did it they did it and they didn't really compromise the show at all. So not only is the thing like you're not gonna hear about any horrible, you know, Rhode Island tragedies in this thing, but there's all kinds of crazy stuff that was uh and my friend told me that they actually some of the construction materials they actually had to video themselves applying flame proofing to it before they put it in to prove to the fire department that it was really flame proof. <laughs> That's the type of stuff that really impresses me. And I don't mean to say that there's not more technology for the future because there's always going to be and then and we won't even know what the cool thing is but what really impresses me now is really good sort of creative ideas and good workmanship on these things and that show is if anybody's anywhere near santa fe you should go see that well john huntington you are the god for us the show he, <laughs> yeah, you actually wrote the bible that we all i'm um, right. holding in my hand right now show networks and control systems oh thank you awesome thanks you guys great job everybody yeah cool. thank you thank well, thanks you. again it's really cool. fun as usual i'll leave us with a quote The most technologically efficient machine that man has ever invented is the book. Northrop Fry. The Q is produced by Active Media Group in association with the Q Show cast. Music for the Q was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. 
For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at theqshow.com. Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11. Zero one zero one zero one zero 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 one one zero one zero 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 one one zero 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 one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one one zero one zero one one zero zero one zero 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 one 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 zero zero one zero one one zero one 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 zero one 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 zero one zero one zero zero one zero 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 one zero zero one zero one zero zero one one zero one 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 zero one one zero one zero 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 one one zero one 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 zero 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 one zero 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 one zero zero one zero 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 one 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 zero one zero one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one 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 zero one zero 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 one one zero one zero zero one zero one one zero one 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 zero zero one one zero zero one 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 zero one 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 zero one zero 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 one one zero one 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 zero one one zero one 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 zero